will be in Exodus 14. I'm not going to take the time to go ahead and read through. I'd love to go ahead and read through the whole chapter, but uh, I think we're going to be pressed for, for time anyway, just because it's a, a long list of things today. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going to be hitting most of the chapter as we go through. Um, so if you remember, obviously, uh, cha- Exodus chapter 14 is, um, is you know, the nation of Israel getting ready to cross the Red Sea. They're leaving Egypt. That is kind of the context. Um, it's going to be a little different this morning than, than a, uh, maybe a typical message, maybe. Um, it's kind of more of just uh, some, some great things that you and I need to, to learn. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in a minute. But as I was going through uh, Exodus 14, uh, I, I, you know, just kind of scanning through it and looking at it and reading it and just read it several times, uh, I, I, I realized, man, there are so many things in there that are valuable lessons that you and I need to learn. Um, and that's kind of what began the gears, um, you know, uh, turning. And as, I, as the gears began to turn, I began to think of uh, two qualities, uh, two qualities that are highly desirable in the Christian life. And those two qualities are this, uh, confidence and contentment. Uh, confidence and contentment. Now, you may think it's kind of strange that I... Um, would choose those two things, but let's take a look at what confidence is. It is a trusting or reliance as a, an assurance of mine or a firm belief in the integrity, stability, or veracity of another, or in the truth and the reality of a fact. You know, you, what you and I need in, in, in the Christian life is we need a great measure of confidence. Amen? We need confidence in that book. We need confidence in our God. We need confidence that what we're doing is right. We need confidence in a lot of things, and that's a great attribute to have in the Christian life. Uh, the other thing that I put up there was um, a contentment. Well, to be content is simply this. Uh, it's to rest. It is rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. Satisfaction which, which holds the mind in peace. Uh, it is restraining complaint, opposition, or further desire, and often implying a moderate degree of happiness, um, confidence, and contentment. Uh, here are just a few things that uh, the Bible has to say about these two qualities. Uh, we all know this verse, uh, Psalm 118.8, it's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man, Right? Um, but there's some good things about uh, confidence. In Proverbs 3, it says this, For the Lord shall be thy confidence. He shall keep thy foot from being taken. That's where we gain our confidence ultimately, right? From the Lord. It says in Proverbs 14, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. His children shall have a place of, of refuge. Um, in Philippians 1.6, it says this, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Right? There's some things in the Bible that you and I need to be confident in. Obviously, confident in the Lord, confident in what he's done for us. Confidence is a good thing to have as a Christian. When it comes to uh, contentment, um, Proverb, or Philippians says this, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned uh, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be Content. Hey, contentment is a challenge in the Christian life. But, but you and I need to learn to be content. 
Uh, in First Timothy, it says, uh, and having food and raiment, let us uh, be there with content. Hey, contentment is a great, is a great virtue, is a great uh, attribute to have. Uh, it says this in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Contentment. Confidence and contentment. Two, two qualities that the children of Israel struggled with in Exodus chapter 14. All right? Um, hey, listen, why did they lack them? And what does it take to develop, uh, you know, confidence and contentment? And that's kind of where my mind was going when I went through this. Um, and I kind of... Um, kind of came to this conclusion, and, and just uh, something to think about. Confidence and contentment are the product of knowledge and faith. Now, that may not fully register as right that when you first read it, but I'll, I, hopefully I'll be able to, uh, to explain that a little bit further. But they are, they're the product of, um, of knowledge and faith. So with that in mind, I titled this message this morning very easily, very simply, What is it? What do I need to learn? Right, um, and I just looked at Exodus chapter fourteen, and I went through, and I started uh, just listing out some basic things, some basic things that you and I need to learn in the Christian life. Now, this is, you know, not by any stretch of the imagination an, an exhaustive listing, uh, but it is several things that you and I need to learn when it comes to, um, you know, the Christian life, and that you and you and I, if we're going to find. If we're going to find confidence and contentment in our lives, in the direction that we're going, and where we're headed, and what we're doing, these are some things that you really need to understand along the way. So this, um, uh, like I said, more than being a sermon, kind of winds up being a survey and a list going through Exodus 14. So I'd like to start, uh, I'd like to start off by first saying this, that obviously we know that Pharaoh is, in the Bible, a type of the devil, right? Uh, I mean, he has God's people in bondage. Um, he is, for all practical purposes in that time frame, the God of this world. All right? Uh, that, that is Pharaoh. So what I want to look at to start with is this. What do I learn? Oops, let me just hit that again. What do I learn from the enemy? What do I learn from the enemy? And that's Pharaoh. Uh, now, you know the story that led up to this, uh, to this point. Pharaoh had just endured all the plagues of Egypt, the flies, the frogs, the water turning into blood, the, you know, um, the crops being destroyed, uh, the animals being destroyed, and ultimately uh, culminating in the firstborn of everyone being destroyed in Egypt, including Pharaoh's son. And he finally, finally agreed to let the children of Israel go. It was reluctant, it took all of that, but he finally, you know, he finally uh, got to that, por- part, that uh, stage in life, and he, and he agreed to let him go, uh, sort of. Um, so to begin with, let me state, uh, let me state the obvious, uh, and that is this, uh, the enemy does not want to let you go. Look at verse uh, 5, you need to know your enemy, ladies and gentlemen, you need to know your enemy, um, Somebody said this, um, <clears throat> Aristophanes said this, he was an old playwright from a long time ago, I don't know, a heathen guy, but he said something that's kind of interesting, he said, wise men learn many things from their enemies. 
And one of the things I learn uh, from my enemy is take a look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Listen, one of the things that I learned as I was going through Exodus 14, and one of the things that you need to know about your enemy, the devil, is this. The, the, uh, the enemy does not want to let you go. Amen? The devil wants to keep you a slave to sin. The devil wants to keep you right where you're at. In fact, he'd like to take you backwards a couple of steps. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're lost, listen, um, you know, you're, the Bible says your sins have separated between you and your God. Sin is the only thing that, that is keeping you out of heaven. It is the one thing that causes you to go to hell. And, and that sin is, uh, is between you and God, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a barrier between you and God, and the devil would like to keep that barrier there in place. If you're lost here this morning, listen, the one thing that you need is the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth, died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day, shed his blood on the cross to pay for your sins. Why? Because that's the only way you can get that barrier taken down. Amen? Uh, so if you're lost here this morning, listen, the devil does not want to let you go. He wants to keep you in your sin. Well, um, folks, if you're a Christian here this morning, and I know that just about all of you are, if you're a Christian here this morning, the truth of the matter is, uh, those were God's people in the land of Egypt. Yes. Type of Christians, right? And you know what they were in bondage to? Pharaoh. They were in bondage, right, to the God of this world. If you're a Christian here in this morning, and uh, as much as the devil would like to keep lost people in their sin, because he, keeps, he gets to keep their soul then, if you're saved here this morning, he doesn't have your soul. But man, if you're bound up in sin, the devil would like to keep you as a Christian bound up in that sin. He doesn't want to let you go. He may, you know, he may be forced to back off for a little while and you may think that you got a little bit of headway. And, but before you know it, uh, the devil, ultimately the devil does, Christian, the devil does not want to let you go. And he will, will see as we go through this lesson, I need to hurry, he'll be constantly after you. Because he doesn't want to let you go. And if you're a Christian here this morning that's had some success with sin, and the Lord's given you strength, and you've overcome sin, and you've gotten the victory over sin, and, and you know you think that sin is behind you, and it's never going to bother you again, guess what? The devil doesn't want to let you go either. He'll come after you, and he'll try to get you to fall back in it. Right? What do I, what do I learn? What do I learn from the enemy? I, I learned this uh, when I read through Exodus 14. It's... As, as bad as things were for Pharaoh, he didn't want to let the people go. And the devil does not want to let you go. I, I have to hurry. Um, I, I know this. I know and I learned from Exodus chapter 14. Take a look at verse 6. The enemy still wishes your destruction. And he made ready his chariots and took, him, uh, and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every, every one of them. The reality is, uh, you know, Pharaoh ultimately let the people go, and then he sat back and he began to think about it a little while, and as, it, as he pondered that thing, he turned it around in his head, and he said, what on earth have I done? I don't want to let these people go. And when that happened, when that happened, 
uh, the enemy, he thought about that, and he said, you know what, I'm heading out there with all these, with, uh, with all these chariots, with my army, we're going to go get those Israelites, and you know what, we're going to make them pay, we're going to wipe them out. We're going to go get them. We're going to take them back captive again. Uh, the, enemy, the enemy wishes your destruction. Again, I'm not going to belabor on any of these points too awful long because I'll never make it through. But make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, the, the devil would love to get you back into, into sin. Why? Because ultimately, saved or lost, he wants your destruction. Amen. If you're saved, he can't have your soul. I said that. But if you're, if you're saved, he can certainly destroy a lot of your life here on this earth. And just about the time you think you've gotten away, he's coming after you again. Um, I'll tell you another thing. Take a look at verse 7. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. I, I learned this as I read through Exodus chapter 14. The enemy is completely and totally committed in trying to take you down. Back in World War II, uh, the Japanese began um, losing the war, and they realized, hey, we're, we're kind of in dire straits, and the devil, hey, the devil knows his time's coming. And the Japanese began to lose the war, and, and things had kind of taken a turn, and the Allies, and the United States and the Allies, we were starting to get the upper hand, and we were starting to turn the tide of the war and, and push, you know, and push towards Japan, and slowly began retaking all those islands, and, and began heading that direction, and they began to see the writing on the wall. And when, when, the, when the Japanese began to see the writing on the wall, they realized, hey, we're not going to win this battle, we've got some problems going on, and you know what, uh, we... We better pull out all the stops. And they took, um, uh, and they, and they took a, a task group. Um, Commander uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tommy took a, a task group of 23 uh, just young pilots. Uh, they were talented, but they were student pilots uh, from a class. And he trained them, and he asked all of them to, uh, you know, if they would volunteer to be these kamikazes. It was a new, you know, it was a, a new squadron they were putting together, a new tactic they were putting together. And all, all 23 of those, uh, those students, right, when they were asked, would you volunteer, they all raised both their hands. Yes, I'll volunteer. Right? Pharaoh took everything he had and began to throw it at, at the nation of Israel. Those Japanese... Uh, um, you know, uh, kamikaze pilots, they, they volunteered. They were young. Some of them as young as six, 17, 18 years old, young, uh, young men that had just learned to fly. And they, uh, they would obviously strap bombs and, and uh, uh, overload their fuel tanks. And they would take those planes. And the whole purpose of, of that attack was to take those planes and, and uh, you know, fly the plane into the ship. There was a... Um, um, somebody that they asked, uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Siki, uh, he was a, an experienced pilot. He was a, one of the more experienced pilots in Japan. And they, they came to him and they asked him, they said, Sir, would you, would you do the honor of leading these group of kamikaze pilots? And he lowered his head and he thought for about 10 seconds, so the story has it. And he, he said this, he said, Please do appoint me to the post. And he became the 24th kamikaze pilot, the leader of, the, of that squadron. He later said this. He said, Japan's future is bleak if it is forced to kill one of its best pilots. 
And I am not going on with this mission for the emperor or for the empire. I'm going because I was ordered to. <laughs> hey, sometimes, uh, sometimes the devil uh, um, recruits people to try to get at you. <laughs> and they go along with it. Not necessarily, you know, you, you often wonder when it comes to, you know, when it comes to sin and the devil's influence. And you wonder, why would, why would my friend take me down that path? Well, maybe he was ordered to. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. But the, you know, the, uh, the point being this, the devil, the devil knows that he's losing the war. And folks, he's going to take out all stops and come after you with everything he's got. Amen. Change tactics. Kamikaze tactics. You had the USS uh, uh, Bunker Hill. All right, it was hit by two kamikazes on, uh, uh, in May of 1945, resulted in 389 people dead or missing, 264 wounded. You had the USS Essex. There was a whole uh, class of aircraft carriers, the Essex class uh, aircraft carriers, but um, the Essex was built during World War II. It was, um, it was hit by a kamikaze. In November of 1944. You say, what kind of damage did they do? Some pretty good damage. You know, um, I read somewhere, reading through that, that, that only about 15% of the kamikaze pilots actually flew into and hit their target. Okay, so I know that maybe with counting all the kids and everything, you know, on, on a real good day and a full day, maybe that's 100 people around here. Well, if the devil gets 15%, maybe a little less than 100, look around this congregation and you pick out the 10 to 15 that aren't going to make it. 15% is a lot. It doesn't sound like much. But when you look around, I don't want to pick out 15. <laughs> I look here and I'm going, I, I want 0%. <laughs> All right, I want 0% casualties. They say, uh, so, and you, the, the accounts vary and they don't, they don't really know, but, but somewhere between, you know, between, they estimate between five and 10,000 people died because of these kamikazes. The reality, folks, is the devil's going to pull out all stops because... He knows he's losing, and he's going to try to wreak as much havoc as he can in your life, in the church, in the world. Take a look at uh, verse 9. Uh, but the Egyptians pursued after them uh, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh and all the horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea. Besides... Uh, Piharoth before uh, Baal Zephon. So here you have another thing that I learned from Exodus chapter 14, uh, and that is this. Ladies and gentlemen, even when you get set free, the devil's not content. He's going to come after you. He's going to throw out all the stops, and there's a really good chance he's going to catch up with you and overtake you. That's something to think about. Amen. Very good.
So you can't hide from the devil. Where are you going to hide? Right? We'll address this uh, a little bit later, and, and the answer obviously is, 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 is the Lord Jesus Christ, but God is the only one that can protect you from the devil. Amen. Amen. But man, he's sure good at overtaking the person that he's, that he's changing. I learned that about the enemy. If he can, he'll, he'll often catch you. I learned this. Take a look at verse 10. Uh, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. I learned this about the enemy. I learned the enemy is going to wind up instilling a lot of fear in you and I if we're not careful. It says there in, in Exodus chapter 10 that the children of Israel, were, they looked back, they saw, they saw Pharaoh coming, and you know what they were? They were afraid. And you know where you'll find yourself sometimes, folks? You'll find yourself, uh, you'll find yourself in a position with situations in life where you have to face this overwhelming fear. I mean, paralyzing fear. Uh, fear of failure. Hey, fear of what lies ahead. Fear of things maybe not getting back to the way that you wish they were. There's all kinds of different things that, the, you know, that you and I face where that fear rises up within us. And the reality is the devil, you know, the devil, Pharaoh, uh, chased after those people. He threw out all the stops. He threw everything he had. He didn't want to let them go. He was willing to commit everything he had. He changed tactics. And he, he came full force after the nation of Israel. And they were sitting there trapped. And they were in a spot where they didn't think they could get away. And they look back and they see Pharaoh. And they look this way and they see the Red Sea. And they're, uh, yeah, yeah, they got scared. It's a very natural emotional response. You're trapped. Sometimes you and I are going to have to face fear. That's what the devil is going to try to throw at you. Right? Take a look at verse 19. I, I alluded to this just a little bit earlier. So they're, they're afraid. They're trapped in between the sea and in between uh, Pharaoh and his chariots. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. This is that cloud of uh, fire and cloud of smoke, the pillar of fire and, and smoke that, uh, that you know, went with the Egyptians. And it came... Um, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Like I said earlier, you know what it takes? Only God can stop the enemy. Amen. I mean, Pharaoh had a, had a clean shot right to Israel. Israel was trapped. And, and now they're afraid, and they're sitting there, and the Lord, when you get in that position in life, when you get to that place, and, and, you're, and you're, too, you're too scared to do anything at all, you know what the Lord does sometimes? The Lord will take that, uh, that pillar of, of smoke and that pillar of fire, and he'll move it behind you, in between you and Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh's got to stop. Because the Bible says in there, and if you read the story, that there was a darkness there, and, and Pharaoh and them couldn't see. The Israelites had light, but Pharaoh and them, it was darkness to them, and they couldn't see, and they had to stop. They had to halt their advance. You know, God is the only thing that can stop the enemy from overtaking you. He's going to try, but it has to be the Lord intercede for you. Take a look at verse 25. Take a look at verse 25. Um... 
Well, take a look at verse 24. And it came to pass in the morning, uh, in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire of of the cloud and, and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. I tell you what I, one of the things I learned uh, just reading through Exodus 14, is that, and that is this. Um, the enemy will definitely cause you fear, but you know what? The enemy can only be stopped by God, but the enemy won't give up until it's too late for him. You know, that devil is not going to ease up. He's not going to back off on trying to destroy people until he's being cast into the lake of fire. Amen. Until the Lord comes down at the second advent and, and, uh, and, and stops him and binds him for a thousand years, the devil's not going to stop until it's too late. Until he is, he's, his doom is, is sure. He's just not going to stop. He's going to be there the whole time. But I read verse 28 and I say this, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh uh, that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. One of the things I learn when I'm thinking about our enemy, the, the devil, is this. Ultimately, he is going to be defeated. And you know what? You got to know those things. You got to know those things. I need to. I need to hurry on. What do I learn from the enemy? I learn the enemy does not want to let you go. He still wishes your destruction. He's committed, completely committed, whatever it takes to get you. He'll often catch you. He'll cause you to fear. He can only be stopped by God. He won't give up until it's too late for him. But in the end, the enemy will be destroyed. Amen. Those are, those are some things I learned from God. Well, let me ask you this. What do, uh, uh, from the enemy, what do I learn from God? What do I learn from God? Well, um, take a look at uh, verse 4. Um, in fact, just read, let's just start in verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before uh, Phiharoth, <laughs> yeah, Heharoth, between uh, Megdol and the sea, and over against Baal Zephon, before uh, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. And Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Take a look at verse 17. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. uh, And the Egyptians uh, shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. I think of this, uh, you know, I think of this story, and I, I imagine the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt, and they had high hopes and everything was going well, and they thought they finally were, were relieved of their oppressor. They thought they finally had a chance to get away, and about the time they had a chance to get away, they're following Moses, their leader, and then they wind up in the spot where Moses led them, and then Pharaoh comes after them, and they, you know, uh, they begin to, uh, to realize they're trapped. And then when I read the beginning of Exodus 14, 
in those first few verses we read there, it was God that told Moses to put him in that spot. God said, hey Moses, I want you to take these guys and I want you to take them right over here and encamp them right here. Because then they're going to be trapped. You know what I learned? Oops, what I learned from God? Well, this speaker may or may not work after that. You know what I learned from God? I learned that sometimes God will put you and I in a position where we're trapped. If he knows that in the end, it's going to bring him glory and honor. God doesn't mind using you and I as pawns. What I think of when I, you know, you can't help but think of Job. Right? Think of what Job went through. Think of all that Job lost. We don't have time to go into all that this morning. You guys know the story very well. We've been over it several times. But look at what God did with Job. God took Job, who was a great guy living a righteous life, and he, and he, and he used Job to prove a point to the devil. And Job had to endure an awful lot. But in the end, in the end, God got honor because Job went through a little bit of suffering. Here, the, here, God has taken the nation of Israel and he told Moses, hey Moses, I want you to take them and I want you to put them right there. Because right there they're going to be trapped. And then you know what? Pharaoh's going to come after you. And Moses goes, okay, Lord, let's go take the nation of Israel and we'll put them right there and let them get trapped and let Pharaoh come after us. <laughs> Why? Because God knew that by putting a little bit of pressure on the people of Israel and by, by putting them in that space, Pharaoh thought he was going to get away with it. Pharaoh thought he was going to have the upper hand. And God knew that he was going to intercede and he was going to do something to Pharaoh that had never been done before. God was going to take care of it all along. The only thing the children of Israel had to do was just put up with a little bit of suffering. Right? A little bit of hard times. Okay? A lot of hard times. A lot of suffering. Right? So, a lot of fear. It, it wasn't easy for what they did, but God knew what, they were, what he was asking them to do long before they did it. I learned that God doesn't mind putting you and I in a difficult situation if in the end he's going to get glory out of it. So next time you find yourself in a difficult situation, think about that. Instead of focusing on the difficult situation, focus on, okay, God, how are you going to get glory on this? Because God didn't put them there just to mess with them. God did not put Israel there just so that they would be afraid, just so that they would feel trapped, just so that they would have to go through a hard time. God put them there because why? Because he had something bigger going on between him and Pharaoh. God didn't put Job through all of those tests just because he felt like messing with Job. God looked down and saw something special in Job. And he said, you know what? This boy can handle it. You say, why did he pick Job? Because Job was probably about the only guy in the world that could handle it. And that's why he didn't pick somebody else. So if you find yourself in a position where God has put you in a very tough spot like that, you know what? <laughs> the Lord's hand picked you to, for a purpose. 
And you got to understand that. If you know that, it'll help you get through those difficult times because in the end, you know, hey, the only reason, we'll, and we'll talk about a, a second reason when you get yourself into it. That's another, that's another, it comes later. But if God puts you in that difficult position, the only reason God put you in that position is because God had a plan on how to deliver you. God doesn't mind putting you in a difficult position when he knows it's going to lead to his glory. Listen, when you look around, your world is falling apart. Your world is in chaos. Know this. Know that God is doing something with you. And that should give you the strength and the courage to endure, to keep fighting. And maybe you can see the problems that you're facing in a little different light. Amen? I'll tell you something else I learned from God. Take a look at verse 15. <clears throat> um, uh, let's see. And the Lord said unto Moses, uh, so they're trapped. And Moses is going, oh, what now, Lord? What do we do? And the children of Israel are going, what do we do? We're going to die. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Now, now I find that funny. God knew what he was doing all along. He takes uh, Moses and he says, hey, Moses, take the children of Israel, put them in this trap. And they're going to be stuck there. And then I'm going to have Pharaoh come up behind you, and he's going to try to overtake you. And then Moses does it. And now Moses has got all the children of Israel sitting on the edge of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's coming, and the pillar of cloud and smoke is behind them, but they're still trapped, and Moses is wondering what on earth to do. What do I do now? And God says, what are you sitting here for? Move! I think that's funny. What do I learn from that? You know what? When, you're, when you find yourself in a, in, a, in a trap, in a tight situation, in a, in a place in life where everything seems to be crumbling and falling apart, and you think that there's no way out, you know what you got to do as a Christian, folks? you got to move. I was uh, listening to a, um, um, it was actually a podcast um, uh, from a, uh, actually he was a Navy SEAL instructor, and he was just on leadership. It's some interesting stuff. And uh, one of the things that he said is this. He said, uh, he said one of the things that, that people have a tendency to do. Just natural human nature. It's just it's normal psychological way that your brain works. Is when you get to a place where you are overwhelmed. Whatever that is. For some people, you know, it may be uh, too much homework. For other people, you know, you may have 47 classes that final, finals are all due. And then, you know, uh, all of life is falling apart. Everybody has different tolerance. But, but it happens to everybody just at a different level. Some people can handle more stress than others. Um, but when you get to that point where you're, got, you're kind of at your maximum stress level and you become overwhelmed, what happens is your brain has a tendency to just want to shut down and avoid doing anything. It's just a normal response. How many times have you been so overwhelmed with things to do that you kind of just, oh, forget it. I'm going fishing. <laughs> right? I'll take care of it tomorrow. Hey, you know, it just, it's a natural, normal process. And, and, and whatever, whatever it is you decide to do, it is a process where you become overwhelmed. Uh, and, and your brain in order to handle the stress, develops this process of how your brain is going to get you out of the stressful situation. And all too often, that method of, of, of escaping is 
freeze, hide, do nothing. And what he was saying, what he was saying uh, you know, is, is one of the worst things that you can do in, in the middle of a battle it, when the enemy begins to, to overwhelm you and they, you know, the odds are against you and there's no way out and, and there's nothing that you can do, one of the worst things that you can do is let that process happen and freeze. Because if you freeze, you don't gain any ground. You don't gain any advantage. You don't set up your defensive perimeter. You don't set up your defensive positions. You just, because you're overwhelmed, you freeze and the enemy continues to advance their position, and you wind up in a worse position than you were five minutes ago because you froze. Well, that's what God's telling Moses to do. Hey, what, what are you talking to me for? Get up and move. Right? What I learned from God. Hey, he expects you to act when he tells you to move. Why? Because, it, because Pharaoh's coming, and he's getting ready to surround you, and you're going to be in a much worse position if you do nothing. Here's something else. Take a look at uh, verse 19. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, moved and w- uh, went behind them, uh, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. I learned this about, uh, about God. When you're in that kind of a situation and everything is crumbling and your world is falling in, you know what I learn? God has your back. Yes, yes. Amen. Right? Israel was defenseless against Pharaoh. And God knew that. And God put him there. <laughs> and God took that pillar and he went around behind Israel and he sat there and said, all right, boys, <laughs> talking to Pharaoh, you guys just sit down and shut up and wait a while. I got to work a few things out with the uh, children of Israel here. <laughs> They're kind of afraid to move. Besides that, I, you know, I've got this wind blowing. It's going to take a little bit of time for this water to dry. And you see that the water dries overnight. And in, this, in the morning when uh, God tells Moses, well, get going. But you know what I learned? I learned when, that, when that's happening, folks, God has your back. That's a comfort you find yourself in that kind of position in life, and it's good to know, it's good to have learned that no matter where I'm at, no matter how stuck I am, no matter how bad the circumstances see, uh, seem to be, God has my back. It's a comfort. Take a look at verse uh, 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may, uh, may come again. Remember, he, he parted them, and now he's, Pharaoh is, is pursuing the nation, the children of Israel. The children of Israel went through the Red Sea on dry ground. God moved the pillar. Pharaoh decides, I'm going to chase them. He goes after them, right through the Red Sea, right where the children of Israel went. And now in verse 26, the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength uh, when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that, it came, uh, that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. I learned, I, I learned this. 
Not only does God have your back, but God in the end is going to be glorified. Look at verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. When you find yourself in that kind of a difficult situation, it's good to know what God's doing. It's good to know that he puts you there on purpose. It's good to know that he's got your back. It's good to know all those things. But it's good to know that in the end, God is going to be glorified. And you know what? It'll all be worth it. And as terrifying as that ordeal was, none of the Israelites died. All of the Egyptians died. God had their back. He took care of them. God will be glorified. Uh, I had this as, a, as an example. I'm going to try to hurry. But uh, the Dunkirk evacuation, if, you're, if you remember back in uh, World War II, <coughs> Germany... Germany was winning the war. They were just, they were marching through Europe, man. And the, you know, the British and the French, French were over there trying to, uh, to counter the Germans. And they just kept getting beat back and beat back and beat back. And the Germans, I mean, they were just, they were just taking over Europe. The United States wasn't in the war yet. And, uh, and, the, and Germany had forced the, uh, the Brits and, the, and the, the French army, they had forced them back to the seashore. There was about 300, over 300,000 men that were trapped on the seashore, and they had nowhere to go. And, the, and Germany was, was advancing, 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 getting ready to wipe them out. That was at, um, that was at, at Dunkirk. And um, they, they, had a, they had a major problem because there was only, a, you know, there was only one port that they could bring a, the, a big Navy ship into to offload people. And it would take forever to get all those people offloaded. And you know, the, you know what happened? Churchill came up with his plan. Um, and, <clears throat> and he wound up setting, a, he wound up setting, uh, uh, setting up this plan in, set in motion. And it was uh, Operation Dynamo. And he began to uh, evacuate all those uh, uh, British and French troops. Uh, they didn't have enough uh, access to, to deep ports to get them all uh, out of there safely, quickly enough. So what he did is he went across Europe and he commandeered anybody that had a boat. Amen. There was any size, I think it was like over 30 feet. And, and, and all of those boats became naval <laughs> vessels. And they, they had every single fishing boat they could find heading over to Dunkirk to start getting these... these uh, um, these soldiers, British and, and French soldiers. And, and, and Churchill was hoping, he was hoping that he could get thirty or 40,000 out of there before the Germans uh, enclosed and, and wound up killing them all. Well, he you know, set up a few distractions that slowed the Germans down a little bit, and, and that fleet of boats went over there, and they got over 300,000 of those soldiers out of that predicament they were in. God will deliver you from your troubles. He delivered the nation of Israel. Especially when, he, when it's him that's going to be glorified, right? Um, God will deliver you, from, deliver you from the troubles that he put you in. Now, every now and then you get in some troubles that you put you in. <laughs> and he, he may have you kind of wallow there for a little bit longer to, to teach you something. 
But you know what? God's even good about getting you out of a lot of troubles that you got yourself in, too. He's a good God. He's got your back. I got to hurry. Um, this is a, a picture of a bunch of those uh, fishing vessels that were getting, getting ready to be used in that, in that Navy uh, operation. Right? The reality is, folks, you and I have to learn all of these things. Why? Because when that happens in our life, we've got to be able to trust in God. And when I know this is how God operates, it makes it a lot easier for me to get through those difficult times. Finally, wrap things up here. <clears throat> well, uh, just a summary of this last point. What I learned from God. God doesn't mind putting you in a difficult situation. God does expect you to act. When he says move, you need to move. Hey, God has your back. God will be glorified through it all. And God will deliver you from your troubles. Well, what do I learn from man? Well, men are a little more difficult. <laughs> uh, somebody said this. I don't know who Peter Cook is, but he's giving credit for this. He said, I've learned from my mistakes, and I'm sure I can repeat them exactly. <laughs> This, however, is my favorite. This is me getting ready to make the same bad choice, but also being a little more prepared from the last time it backfired. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have ever been there? <laughs> I learned so much from my mistakes, I'm thinking of making some more. <laughs> now, you just have to... You just have to Forgive me, this is way too good because I was raised on a farm. There are three kinds of men. The one that uh, learns by reading, the few who learn by observation, the rest of them have to pee on the electric fence for themselves. <laughs> Foolish men only, uh, learn only from their experience. Wise men learn from other people's experience. The reality, folks, is uh, um, you can learn from men. All right? And I, I, I broke this down into two categories, Le uh, a leader and a follower. Uh, take, a look at, uh, take a look at verse 3. or uh, Verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel <coughs> that they turn and encamp before uh, Pihiroth, between Migdol and the sea over against uh, Baal Zephon, before uh, ye shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say unto the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. Um, I learned this from, uh, from, from men. God gives leaders some information that the rest of the people don't have. God told Moses what he was going to do all along. The rest of the children of Israel didn't know. Right? Moses knew he was leading them into that trap. But that's what God told him to do. God, God gives leaders special insight and you know what you ought to do? You ought to respect that authority. 
There's a reason why God chose Moses to be the leader and not Aaron or somebody else, right? I mean, it's God's business. He can choose whoever he wants, way above my pay grade. But it's reassuring to know that God does that with, with leaders. I learned something, something else. Take a look at verse 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Uh, they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. <laughs> uh, i I tell you what else I learned uh, from men uh, about leaders. Sometimes a leader has to suffer the wrath of uh, the followers. Everybody rebelled against Moses. Where are you taking us? What are you doing? You're going to get us killed. We'd be better off back in Egypt. Take a look at verse 13, 14. I'm, I'm trying to hurry here. 13, 14. <clears throat> Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall, uh, shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And then, you know, God tells them to, uh, 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 to move forward. I, I learned this. A leader is expected to stand in spite of his followers' fear. The children of Israel just got through saying they were afraid. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's uh, you know, um, uh, surrounding them. Pharaoh's got, coming up from, the, from behind, and, and, and they're terrified. And Moses has to stand up as leader and say, hey, uh, you know what? Don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. A leader is expected to stand in spite of the followers. Look at verse uh, um, 16. But lift up, thou, but lift up the, uh, thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. I tell you what a leader has to do. A leader has to follow God, or the people are going to perish. Right? One more thing. Look at verse 26. It's all said and done. You begin to wrap things up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. Moses, um, Moses, in this case the leader, had to be willing to do things for God that sometimes are very difficult to do. You know what he said? Moses, uh, lift up your rod, kill all those Egyptians. Now here's the catch, folks. Every single one of us, at one level or another, is a leader and a follower. Right? This is not just, you know, when I say leader, this is not just for the pastor. You're a leader for somebody. Maybe your kids, maybe your younger siblings, maybe you're the foreman at work. You're going to find yourself in a leadership position somewhere along the way. And you know what? You have to learn all of those things. And be able to do all of those things. As a follower, and every one of us is a follower. I mean, 
at the very least, God's over every one of us, and we got to follow him, right? You know, some people, you know, there's more people you have to follow, but, but every one of us is a leader in some, in some regard, and every one of us is a follower in some regard. What do I learn from men as a follower? Here's some things I need to be aware of. Uh, verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? I learned this. I learned it's easy to turn on the leader because you don't have the information the leader has. And you got to be careful of that. you got to be careful of that. Why? Because God hates rebellion against authority. It's, it's, you know, it's throughout the Bible. You, you see that over and over again. It's a common problem that almost always ends up in a disaster. Listen, one of the, one of the worst things that you can do as an example to other people around you is to begin to disparage a leader in front of everybody else. Amen. Why? Because everybody watching you is beginning to look and say, well, I don't have to listen to the leader if they don't do what I want. And then that transfers to God. Right? See, see God had already chosen the leader. And maybe it's you. You don't want everybody else looking at you and trying to say, yeah, I don't have to listen to your leadership. <laughs> well, God, God put you in that leadership position. Well, yeah, they should. <laughs> but when you begin to go against that, you begin to show everybody else, I, don't, I only listen to who I want to listen to. I mean, you hear it, you know, you used to hear it time and time. Sorry, man, but when we went to school, when I was a kid, and you went to school, and you got in trouble by the teacher? You say, well, the teacher was wrong. It didn't matter. She's still the teacher. You got to swap by the teacher? You're going to get in trouble when you get home because you disobeyed the teacher. You say, but the teacher was wrong. It doesn't matter. The teacher's in charge. You say, but that's not fair. Welcome to life. What's more important? Teaching a kid that they don't have to listen to the teacher? Or following authority? <laughs> See, that's where we're at now. Nobody in school listens to teachers anymore. You say, but they're all liberals. I don't care, they're still teachers. Praise the Lord, you guys are homeschooling. Yay! You don't have to mess with it. But don't you agree those students in public school need to learn a little bit better the lesson, lesson of listening to authorities? You know that, right? It's easy to turn on the leader because sometimes you don't have all the information they have. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish this up real quick. Um, you can read it in verse 10. You can read it in verse 12. You, you know the scenarios. Uh, but sometimes, folks, a good situation that you're in can look bad if you don't have enough patience. God had the children of Israel right where he wanted them. They were in a good situation. 
But man, they sure thought it was bad. Because they just didn't have enough patience to wait to see what God was going to do. Sometimes a good situation can look bad because you don't have enough patience. Sometimes a bad situation can look better than what you're going through right now. The children of Israel sat there and said, I wish we were back in Egypt. You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. We're in a bad situation. We're trapped by the seacoast. And they began to think, they began to think that, uh, um, they began to think that the bad situation in Egypt as a slave was better than the situation they were in right now. Mistakes we all make. I learned, I learned this in verse 22. You have to be willing to follow even when you're scared. The children of Israel were terrified. Oh, they're coming to get us. They, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Moses lifted up that rod. The waters parted. Come on, boys. We're going across on dry ground. Well, they had a choice to make. They could either head back to Egypt or they could follow. You know what they did? They followed. I learned, I learned that you have to be willing to follow even when you're scared. And then finally, the, the, the last thing that I put on there. As I learned this, I learned that God does deliver. <laughs> right? He got them out of the mess. So what are we talking about? If you want to ever live a life as a Christian where you're confident that what you're doing is right, and you're content with where you're at, there's some things you need to understand. There's some things you need to learn. And if you learn these lessons that you can learn from the enemy in, in Exodus chapter 14. If you learn the lessons that uh, you can learn about God, and if you learn the lessons that you can learn from, from man, as in leaders, followers, that kind of thing, you know what? You'll begin to put a lot of those pieces of the puzzle together, and I promise you, whatever situation you find yourself in, you will be able to gain more confidence and more faith and more contentment because you know what's going on and you trust God to take you through it. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. We need to go. Father, thank you again for an opportunity to be here. You're, our, uh, you're a great God. You have a great book. And Lord, we see so many things in the book. It, it is, uh, it's, an amazing, uh, it's an amazing book, Father, full of truth. Pray that you would just help each and every one of us to, uh, to learn these lessons, to be able to realize that when we find ourselves in some pretty tough situations down here in this life, uh, Father... Um, there's a reason why we're there, ultimately, to give you glory and help us just to, to learn these lessons so that we can navigate through difficult time periods in life much better. Um, if we have knowledge, we have faith, uh, Father, that's sh surely going to help us to be, um, to be more confident and to be more content in, in where you put us in this world. We we'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.